Welcome to Chapter by Chapter. I am your host, Brian Thomas Crop, and I believe that stories have a tremendous power for good, and so I write them, and I enjoy sharing them with you. If you are new to the podcast, welcome here. Um, this is, um, if you remember DVDs and the ability to uh watch director's commentaries on movies and how the movie got made and all the behind the scenes stuff. If you loved that stuff, this is a good show for you. Um, in just a little bit, uh, you're gonna hear a chapter from uh, my most recent novel, Shell Game, that uh, is out there. And then on the other side, you'll hear a little bit about sort of what was going on in my head as I was writing it um, and uh, Easter eggs. Uh, I tend to write a little bit of my own history into things, um, so there may be some of that as well. But uh, we will get to uh, chapter 32 in just a minute, but I wanna catch you up in case it's been a little bit since you have uh, tuned in. Uh, we are in a small Kansas town called Athens, and uh, Evan Gold is a detective who is trying to uncover uh, who murdered his uh, detective partner and some other folks. And in the middle of all this, the police think that probably he did it. Uh, his wife uh, wants him to leave being a detective so that their marriage might be saved, which is fine because the business is also failing. Uh, he does have a client who uh, would like his protection, but she's less than honest. And um, uh, we discovered last week that she has also gone missing. And so um, we need to nail down uh, all of that stuff. Uh, so where did she go? And uh, Evan uh, Gold is supposed to meet up with who we know as the bad guy who is not attached to this, but maybe he's attached to this. There's been this pearl-like thing that's also been very interesting to a whole bunch of really scamming people. So we're kind of coming to a head here uh, with the story and we are almost to act three. Uh, we are just inches away, but we're not quite there yet. Uh, so we will find out what happens in chapter 32 of Shell Game right after we hear from this week's sponsors. This episode is also sponsored by Showdown in the Yukon, the first book in the Pearl Saga. It is a story of Monterey Jack Danvers, who is a reformed pickpocket who is hired by his old partner in crime to help rescue a uh, stolen gold claim up in the Yukon Territory for a widow. He also finds the widow's daughter quite attractive and that helps him go on this adventure that takes him on uh, stormy seas, through caves, through forest fires and being hunted down um, in forests and all kinds of uh, great adventure. And the big question is, Will they be able to uh, rescue this gold mine, uh, this gold claim back from the evil man who uh, took it from this poor widow woman? And then what kind of man 
does Monterey Jack Danvers turn into by the end of uh, the story. It is also the prelude to uh, Shell Game Part 2 of the Pearl Saga, and you can find Showdown in the Yukon at Amazon.com. You can also find the links uh, to that over at BrianThomasCrop.com. Chapter 32. The inky-dressed stranger led Evan into the living room of Harold's suite. Evan looked around for Harold and did not see him, but maybe he'd made himself scarce. There were at least two closed doors he could have been behind. You wanted to talk about the pearl, the man in black said, sitting on the armchair opposite the front door. So, let's talk about the pearl. Evan quickly checked the best place to sit and not get approached from the back. Eyepatch had taken the best seat as all of his allies were behind him. The position also gave him a quick retreat into any number of directions. Every other seat had its strategic advantages and disadvantages. All things being equal, Evan decided it would be best to face the stranger eye to eye, as it were, and sat in the armchair opposite his host. He put his back to the front door, but aimed his eyes toward the other closed doors in the suite. If something wicked were to happen, chances were good it would not come from the hotel's corridor. Yeah, sure, Evan said. Let's talk about it. Just a couple of questions for starters. What makes it so valuable, and are there any more of them? The stranger grunted. Let's not get greedy. He interlaced his gloved fingers and tapped his lips with his index fingers. After a moment, Eyepatch lowered his hands and asked, What do you know about dimensions? Dimensions? Evan asked. You mean like length, width, and depth? Precisely. There are at least two more. What are they? Evan resented this game. He'd never been good at book smarts, especially science, and didn't like to feel stupid. Plus, the look on the stranger's face said it was an answer Evan was never going to guess. If Evan was going to lose at something, it needed at least to seem like a fair fight. Time, Ipatch said, holding up a long finger. The fifth, well, that will take a bit more explaining, won't it? At this, Eyepatch chuckled to himself and shifted his weight. Evan leaned forward, resting his forearms on the arms of the chair. There is a place, a realm, if you will, that exists, but you cannot easily get to. Not, at least as far as I've seen. Certainly not by the means you have readily available. But I think we can both admit that just because you cannot see a place does not remove its existence. I don't follow. A smile spread on the stranger's face. Name a city you've never visited. A faraway place you hope to see before you die. You mean like France? The man's eye brightened. Yes, like France. Is it there, even though you've never seen it? Evan coughed. I think you'll find my mind works better on practical matters and not so much the philosophical. But let's take it one step further, Ipad said. To other worlds than this one. Hold on, mister. You're not going to start talking to me about little green men and Buck Rogers and flying around on rockets, are you? Evan said. Perhaps yes. Perhaps no. Came the stranger's sober reply. The realm you live in is infinite as far as you're concerned. But so is the one I speak of. Travel between the two is, shall we say, tricky. But it is there all the same. 
in this other dimension, there is a kingdom or empire or, or we don't have those words, but it will do for now. Its ruler oppressed the other realms. One of those realms rebelled because it refused to suffer the injustice any longer. They waged war, a glorious cause. They purposed to remove this unjust tyrant from his unjust seat of power. The war lasted a long time. It's still going on as far as I know. Both sides have suffered much. The other kingdoms of this realm have been forced to take sides in this conflict. There is no neutral zone. Amid this conflict, the tyrant's daughter was captured while traveling from one place to the next. This princess's name is Lillian. But let me assure you, Mr. Gold, that she is no princess like you find in your children's fairy tales. Yes, she is to take the throne according to her people's laws. Yes, she is the offspring of the ruler, but she is more than both of those combined. Lillian is the chief strategist for the armies of her people. Any damage suffered by my people and the peoples that align with us has suffered ultimately by her hands. To capture her was not just a blow to the succession of her father's rule, but a pivot point in the momentum of the war. Having her in our possession was a great victory. So you can understand that it was devastating when she escaped. We had tracked her whereabouts and captured her travel vessel. She was sneaking around in a generic-looking vehicle, and we overpowered it. However, when our army searched the craft, no Lillian could be found. The one in charge of the vehicle lied and said Lillian was not on board, that she had never been on board. He thought he was clever, but his eyes gave him away. I pressed this weaselly captain to give up her location on the vessel. He said he would rather die than give her up. A very noble stand, but I said I would not give him the honor of dying for his princess. No. At this, the smirk returned to Eyepatch's face. His crew would. One by one, I told him, they would meet their gruesome end until he handed Lillian over to us. The man in black sighed, satisfied with himself. <laughs> Even a fool can find wisdom once in a while. Seeing that it was better to hand over Lillian than that his whole crew should perish, the captain quickly told us where we could locate the princess. We searched the secret compartment where she hid, but found nothing inside but a white sphere. The pearl, Evan said. Very good, Mr. Gold, very good. The stranger's one eye narrowed. Yes, given that her powers are extensive and well beyond the normal creatures, she was able to transform her normal appearance into that of what you would call here a pearl. Once her disguise was discovered, she was easily captured and placed in a container from which she could not escape, and, because we didn't want the captain suddenly to rediscover his bravery and come after us, our forces decided to destroy the vessel, crew and all. At this, the corners of the stranger's mouth curled into a proud grin. Once on board my army's vessel, Lillian started to act up, which is understandable. 
I would have been disappointed if she hadn't. But she got into the crew's minds, got the weakest of them to make harmful adjustments to the controls on her container. She convinced him to free her. She caused a great deal of mayhem while on board. In the end, I had to abandon my ship. It was destroyed, and Lillian was once again on the loose. Not wanting to fail in my assignment, it took some doing, but I was able to locate her and jump from our dimension into this one. She is a clever girl, and embedded herself in a collection of rocks and debris about to enter your atmosphere. I noted that she landed near a coastal forest. She wormed her way through water paths inside the caves of a mountain. It took some doing, but I located her and recaptured her. I confess, however, that I was hasty in my pursuit and did not come with the proper equipment to contain a criminal as powerful as Lillian. And the way into this dimension is much easier to find than the way out. My preparations to work the transport back to her trial and execution took much longer than I hoped. Somehow, she escaped me again. This time, she managed to convince a hapless fool to slip her into one of his pockets. The fool had gotten himself lost inside the mountain caves. I would have killed him outright, but he tricked me. I can only assume with her help. She's a trickster, I assure you, Mr. Gold. She used him to escape me. At this point, the stranger stopped and eyed Evan. Do you believe any of my tales so far? Evan shrugged his shoulders. Doesn't much matter, does it? You believe it, and it's unlikely I can convince you differently. Eyepatch chuckled, and then his face became grave. Agreed. It is difficult to change someone's experience only with opinion. He continued his account. Well, it was difficult to track her. For a long time, she managed to elude me. However, she keeps making the same mistake over and over. What is that? asked Evan. She keeps removing her disguise and making herself known. If she stays in her pearl form, there's no way for her to leave, you see. She must find an ally, someone who will help her escape from this dimension to the other. Each time she reveals herself the power that that takes, I'm aware of it. Eyepatch looked unblinking at Evan. Evan did his best to remain calm. This is how I picked up her trail in a different mountain range. She was, at that point, possessed by a man named Plum, a fool if ever there was one. I don't know if she tried to get his help or someone else, but I know he had possession of her. I tried to convince him to relinquish Lillian to me, but he wanted far too much money. He had no idea the amount of power he possessed. I would like to have killed him then and there. But as you well know, for what has transpired in this little town, the killing of Plum would have called too much attention to itself. Believe it or not, Mr. Gold, I prefer to keep a low profile. I deeply regret the amount of attention recent events have directed to my activities. You and I both know we can discover more from the shadows than in the full light of day. So, I did the next best thing I could think of. 
I hired associates who would offer the funds to Plum, but swindle it away from him at the same time. None of my associates knew the true nature of what they were hired to accomplish, only to protect my interests, you understand. Some of my associates seem to be more successful than others at the art of underhanded negotiation, but all of them betrayed me in their own way. And now, according to them, Lillian is once again out on her own. Plum does not have her, I assure you, and my associates, at least the ones I've been able to talk with, claim not to have her either. But I have a feeling someone is lying. Evan leaned forward on his knees. So, he rubbed his stubble, this is all just a simple matter of multi-dimensional kidnapping, am I right? Eyepatch pursed his lips and shook his head. Kidnapping implies she's innocent. Lillian is guilty of a host of crimes for which she will be tried and justly executed. Evan looked at the stranger for a moment and then looked back into the chair. Yes, well, to be fair, I've only heard your side. It's easy to convince me she's horrible from your angle, and I'm willing to believe you, but don't get me wrong, but I need to hear her side too, you see? Evan leaned forward again. So, if I can jump to the end a bit... You think Claire possesses the pearl. Possesses Lillian, I mean. The man in black shrugged. Perhaps. She is the only associate I have not been able to contact personally. Was Jason Charles working for you? Eyepatch nodded. Evan nodded in return. This time the stranger leaned forward. She has it? Evan shrugged his shoulders and rubbed his chin. She might. As you probably know, she's not one for telling the unvarnished truth. The stranger hummed a low growl in his throat. Then he asked, Do you know where she has it? No, Evan said. At this, the stranger got visibly irritated and set his glass down hard on the side table. You said you did know. I said I knew how to get it. When the time is right, assuming we're all talking about the same thing, the stranger examined Evan for a moment. You do? Yes. Where? When the time comes. When. When I'm good and ready. The stranger retreated into his thoughts for a silent minute. Do you know where Miss Porter is at this moment? Let's just say she's safely tucked away. How soon till, as you say, the time comes? Asked the stranger. A couple of days, I would guess. The stranger sat back and forced a pained smile. A couple of days, then. You'll bring me Lillian, then. And I get paid, Evan said. Fire flashed into the stranger's eye. Evan scoffed. You didn't expect me to do this out of the kindness of my heart, did you? Look, look, I don't much care about your war. We have enough troubles of our own here, and I don't do detective work for charity, neither. Then Eyepatch said, If you produce Lillian for us, you will get your reward. He stood up, removed the glove from his right hand, and held it out to Evan. Evan took it, and the two of them shook on the arrangement. A pain like icy knives ran up Evan's arm as the wound on his right hand contacted the stranger's palm. Something the matter? Eyepatch asked. No, Evan said, rubbing his hand. Just an old war injury. Yes, I have many. The man in black turned and called out to Margot to show Evan out. 
Evan spied his right hand. The mark Lillian left was glowing angrily. Evan jammed his hand in his pocket. His eye patch turned back to him and said, Now, as a sign of good faith, why don't you return Margot's items to her? You can imagine it's hard to walk around without a weapon when you are so used to having one. Evan eyed the stranger and Margot with suspicion, but not wanting to cause a scene that would invite the police to look harder at what was going on, he reached in his pocket and pulled out Margot's pistol. He handed it back to her, then Margot examined it briefly. Realizing Evan had removed all the bullets, she smacked Evan across the side of his head with the broadside of the gun. Evan crumpled to the floor in an instant. First off, I would like to uh, acknowledge that I am well aware that France is not a city, but a country. But perhaps Evan doesn't know that. So uh, when Ipatch asks, you know, think of a city that you've never been to, and he goes, France. I personally found that funny. Um, but uh, I wanted you to know that it was an intentional choice. It was not uh, author error uh, that pulled that off. Um, if you've been listening to the show for a while, you may have heard the name Sean Coyne or StoryGrid come up quite often. And uh, he, as he, as his podcast likes to say, has been a, an editor for over 30 years. Uh, and he developed a way to help the writers that he worked with develop their uh, manuscripts better. And it's called, uh, eventually ended up being called the StoryGrid. Um, and one of the things that he would teach in his method is that for every writing genre, which is different than if you go to the bookstore and you have all of those genres, um, the actual story genre is slightly different. Um, but an audience has expectations as what as to what's going to happen. So you pick up a Nicholas Sparks book and you know it's going to be a romance. You're expecting certain things to happen. And if they don't happen, you're sad. So if there isn't the meet cute, if there isn't a thing where um, the you know, one of one of the people in the romance has to give up their their the love of their life, you know, and you feel that heart rendering thing. Um, if that if those things don't happen, you felt like you've kind of been let down. Or if you're in a murder mystery and no one dies for like 10 chapters, you feel like, what, if, what am I reading here? So um, in that for the style of story that shell game is, there should be a speech in praise of the villain. And I've tried to have a, f a couple of those where there are people who have run into Patch who are nervous about him to kind of help ramp up the stress about what's it going to be like when essentially Darth Vader and Luke Skywalker meet for the first time, which is uh, not exactly this meeting, but it's kind of like this meeting. Since they have already met, that already happened. But this is more... Um, where we're, we're hearing things from his side. So this isn't really a speech in praise of the villain, but it is the villain at least giving his case before, um, before God as to how, though um, he's from another dimension and I don't know. I, we can go round and round on um, the level at which this is either allegorically uh, spiritual or it's not. Uh, I've been all over the map on that, but um, he is making his case about um, 
uh, why why he is justified and Lillian is actually the villain. And um, there's just some interesting things that if you are a very long time uh, reader of my books and what I have written, then there are parts of this that you have read a long time ago. The, the initial story for this, which is now called Showdown in the Yukon, featured a guy named Monterey Jack Danvers, and you can go back and listen to all of that stuff. But I tried to get all of his story into one book, and it was a sprawling mess of zero planning. And I probably was working on that for about 10 years before I found a way to actually get through the first book, which then let me get to this book and um, still working on the third book. Um, but there's parts of what uh, had always been the case. Like every time I would restart to write the Monterey Jack uh, saga, the beginning was always the same, that there was this um, pearl that hid itself in some uh, meteors and that kind of thing, and then punched through our atmosphere. And then the way this goes is that Monterey and Lucy see it um, and they think, oh, a star, because it's the 1800s. And they go and they find this star um, that's in a cave, but it's only the size of a pearl. And there's this huge thing that happens. And for a while I had um, episodes of this up on not my current blog, but a blog um, and I called it, it was a magical title. It was called Monterey, Monterey Jack and the Pearl from Outer Space. And it was this sprawling thing that ended up very sci-fi in Alaska, but in like ice caves and just weird stuff. Um, but the story that uh, Eyepatch tells is essentially that same thing that's been a part of, in, in my mind, has been a part of the story the whole time where Lillian escaped in some space debris and landed uh, in the cave where he finds uh, her and then tie it back into what is actually now part of the, the I guess the canon, the canon, the Brian Crop canon that exists of Monterey Jack uh, running into her in the cave. Uh, he goes face to face with who we now know as Eyepatch and um, she helps him escape him and all that kind of stuff. So this is sort of a, we've, we've heard her side of the story in a previous chapter of what's going on and how um, uh, Eyepatch is kind of the villain and, and how all these things transpired from her perspective. Now we've heard it from his. Um, I think, you know, it's just kind of fun to keep playing all of those angles of who, you know, not who's right and who's wrong, but just kind of fun to see it from different vantage points, I guess. Um, and I was trying to, um, you know, how do you make the bad guy the bad guy like, to where you really don't like him? And there's part of me that would like a more nuanced bad guy where you could go, oh, I kind of see where you're coming from. A lot of the movies that I grew up on in the 80s, the bad guys were just bad. And it was always a thing that kind of bothered me, but I kind of it made it easier for me to understand the stories of does anybody really just walk around thinking evil thoughts all the time? I'm just evil. Like they never like send their mom a birthday card or anything like that. Um, but, you know, this guy is is pure evil or at least really hates Lillian and all of her kind. And so 
we've I've tried to establish that he's a scary guy. I've tried to establish that he's a little bit of intimidate uh, of an intimidating person. And then the detail that I thought, well, what can like really cinch the deal? And I always feel like, you know, you see that scene in the movie where the bad guy gets the information out of a good guy and you're like, okay, well, that's good. I guess the guy gets to live because he made a deal with the devil and whatever. And then the devil kills him. You're like, no. Um, so that he got the information out of this poor ship captain. And then, uh, so he, he gets Lillian captured and then kills the whole crew anyway. Um, I was, you know, it might be a little heavy handed, but I was trying to make him the worst bad guy I could. Now, I, I mentioned in a previous episode that um, there was a story hole that um, I needed to fix. And the fix was to give the pearl to Evan's wife, uh, Catherine. Here, here is one of the places where the fix came in of if he's going to say, if Patch is going to say that the way that I, f I know where Lillian is, is because she kind of ex exudes some kind of hoodoo hoodoo in the, in the atmosphere, then a question is if Evans got it on him, which was, you know, most of the first part of the book and all the way through the first draft, um, Evan had Lillian on his person the whole time then a what's what's keeping this guy from searching evan to find it that would be a quick end to the thing uh or with all the stuff that she's given off all the energy she's given off how do how does he not recognize that she's nearby i guess so i had to get rid of um how to get rid of uh, Catherine in pearl form somehow. So now uh, Catherine has uh, the pearl, um, you know, as he's describing how he finds, but you know, a question that I don't have an answer for is when Lillian showed, um, you know, came out of her pearl-like form a few chapters ago and said, you know, to Evan, I am Lillian, I'm the princess of the Coelum and all this stuff, um, did that, did that at all tip off eye patch? Uh, does he have any kind of clue? Um, I still don't know. I think the way the story goes, he didn't know, but it sort of be kind of cool if he, like when, when they shake hands and it causes uh, Evan pain, I would, you know, there's part of me that goes, eh, he probably should have known something. There should have been some power leakage there that eye patch knew about, but um, we'll see how that, how that plays out. But I think, you know, in, in all of those maybe story holes, I don't know if those are story holes. They might be. There are possibilities that I didn't pursue. Let's, let's go down that road. Um, there's a, there's a, I, my background is, is in theater and there's a whole thing uh, amongst actors of really knowing the, the character's backstory and all that stuff. And it can drive you nuts. Uh, like what did they used to eat when they were seven and what kind of horrible childhood did they have and, and all these kind of unknowable things because the playwright did not write them into the script and you're just kind of making stuff up. Um, I think that bleeds over into the author world where um, if, if it really mattered, I think it would have ended up in the book, um, but it doesn't, uh, whether or not um, 
the the you know how does the power leakage thing work uh where if she comes out of pearl form the bad guy can sense it but if he shakes a hand of uh, this whatever this mark is that lillian left on evan's hand he can't know about that um i think that's one of the beauties of the fantasy world is you just get to make up the rules i'm not really a big fantasy or sci-fi reader but i have found for uh there's this there's this truth about photography that black and white photography covers a multitude of sins and i think sci-fi and fantasy also covers a multitude of sins because you just get to make up rules about the world and they do need to be consistent you need to have a believable world but at, at, at a level you're just making stuff up which is uh at, sort of like the black and white photography which you know you can take that for what it is um but uh if if you are in the ballpark of uh writing stories um just know that you don't need to have it all worked out some of the working out happens in revision and some of the working out really doesn't matter some of the working out is an excuse to keep you from finishing the thing that you're working on so um if you are working on a book just plug through get some words down i i was encouraged when i watched the peter jackson let it be movie the beatles thing about them making uh the movie uh i guess it was the album let it be uh, with the rooftop and all that there's a bit in there where George Harrison is in the middle of trying to figure out his song something and he doesn't know the words. Uh, he's coming up with them and it's like, you know the words because you've heard the song a lot and you're, listen, you're listening to him describe it and like, you're just so, you're like one word off. Um, it's like um, the real lyrics are like, something in the way she moves uh, attracts me like no other lover. And what he's working on at that moment in the, in the thing is, um, uh, there's something in the way she moves, uh, attracts me like a pomegranate. And there was probably something in his Hindu stuff where that kind of made sense. But there was counsel from John Lennon, like, look, just say stuff, just get the syllables out and you can always make it make sense later, which I find hilarious because of the number of John Lennon songs you cannot possibly make sense of. Um, but I think that's really true of first drafts. Just get the words down and then you can always massage them later. So anyway, that was a long uh, diatribe about, uh, I guess, forgiving myself for not doing better world building. But uh, that's the show for today. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, go check out all the stuff over there at briantomascrop.com. Uh, please don't forget to leave this show a rating and review as that is a great way to get it into uh, the feeds of other people best way to get it into the feeds of other people is uh, word of mouth. So uh, if you know of people who you think would enjoy this show, let them know about it. And uh, I think we'll have a good time together. But um, until next time, I hope you have a great week.